This program was paid for by the friends and partners of Bruce Downs Catholic Ministries. Well, hello, everybody. It's wonderful to have you with us. I pray wherever you are that you know that God is with you exactly in the place where you are. Well, today I want to talk about how to do the impossible. I don't know about you in your life, but there are times in my life when I face circumstances that feel like they are impossible. And in our world, there's so many things that take place that we can't understand, we can't do, and we have to look at and we have to stop and say to ourselves, how do I proceed in the place where I am? I don't know about you, but sometimes just when you think life is going well, something changes. Maybe a new opportunity comes. Maybe something that's difficult comes, but different things come. Well, I want to have a look at, the, at, at, a, at a story in the scriptures that I think speak a lot about doing the impossible. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, it, it starts with the beheading of John the Baptist. Now, who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. Remember the story of the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, says, you're going to be the mother of the Lord. And whilst in this conversation, the angel Gabriel says, Elizabeth, your relative in her old age who was unable to have children, is having a baby. And that baby was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, no doubt, was someone that Jesus had enormous respect for. Jesus said, of this man, there was no one greater that ever lived. John the Baptist said of Jesus, well, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Another translation says to undo his sandals. John the Baptist said, I must decrease in order that Jesus can increase. And so here we read the story at the very beginning of this chapter of John the, of John the Baptist who's beheaded. And, and what was the result is that Jesus goes off to be by himself. Jesus goes off. We know that Jesus was someone of great emotion. We know that Jesus would get affected by things because Jesus was fully human in every way. And if we think that some of the movie stars and, and the famous people get followed by the paparazzi today, well, in those days, everybody, it seems, was following after Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, let's pick up the story from there. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot uh, from the towns and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. So here's Jesus who takes off to go and have some alone time, but yet the crowds follow him. And yet Jesus is so affected by this, he begins to meet their needs and to cure them. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy some food for themselves. And Jesus said to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing there but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed them and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. 
And they took up what was left over the broken pieces, 12 baskets full, and those who ate were about 5,000 men and women and children. Now, Jesus teaches all day. Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. In all four of the Gospels, it's the only story that's told in all four. And, and, Jesus, and Jesus, when they come to, to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, it's late, we need to send them away to get something to eat, Jesus turns to them and he says, well, you feed them, you feed them. Or one of the apostles and disciples turns to him and said, well, this would take a couple of hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was one day's wage. Another translation says it would take six months' wages to be able to feed this crowd. Um, in other words, what they say to Jesus is, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, you don't know what you're saying. Have you ever turned to God in your life, known what you believe that God wants you to do in a circumstance, and you've thought to yourself, without being that clear, you thought to yourself, God, you don't know what you're asking. God, you don't know what you're saying. God, you don't know what my circumstances are. You don't know. And so Jesus asked them, well, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. Now, one of the great principles of the spiritual life of following after God is that all that God ever asks of us is this. Bring me what you have. Bring me all that you have. Jesus never says, bring me the whole of everything that's required. No, no, no. Jesus just always says, bring me what you have. That's all. And so often we in our own lives, we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, we, I've got to have it all together. I've got to be able to answer every question. But we don't. We don't. And so Jesus says, bring me the, uh, the five loaves and the two fish. Now, 5,000 are fed. Now, some scholars tell us they're not counting. That's just the men. They're not counting the women and the children. But what we know is that a huge amount of people are fed and it's a miracle and there's leftovers. Well, uh, immediately after this happens, Jesus takes the apostles who've been there part of this remarkable uh, miracle that's taken place and immediately, for some reason, Jesus gets them out of there. Jesus gets them away from the crowd. Have a look at this in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself. So, so they're still getting used to this Jesus, the apostles. They're still getting used to him. He's just performed this mind-blowing miracle. This mind-blowing miracle, feeding 5,000. And then and, and, uh, one of the Gospels says there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Well, when it had come to him, it had just come to him as five, fish and, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. And now there is 12 baskets. There's more left at the end by much than there was when he began. And we immediately we read in verse 22, Jesus makes them get into a boat, the apostles. He says, I, want, I need you to get out of this environment straight away. One version says he, one version of the, of the Bible says he compels them. Another says he made them. So it was clear that Jesus was being forceful. This is forceful language, compelled, made. Now in John's gospel, John's version of this story, it says this, when the people saw 
the sign that he'd done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. And when Jesus realised that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again uh, by, to himself, to the mountain by himself. One, one commentator suggests that Jesus wanted to get the apostles out of there because he didn't want them to see the fact that the crowd misunderstood, that the crowd was wanting to make something more of him, to make something more of him. Now, if we look at the world of Jesus and, and the world of the Old Testament, the world of the Old Testament had been a world where there had been many gods. These were an ancient people, an old people. They didn't understand science and technology like we do today, didn't understand the environment and the things that are happening today. They lived in very much a polytheistic world, poly meaning many, theistic meaning God, a many God world. And when things happened in their world where there was uh, storms and there were floods and there were fires, that they would talk about these being done by the many gods. But Jesus comes along and he says, well, I am the epitome of God that there's one God. And even though Moses centuries before had said that, you know, there is one God and that that one God was going to be Israel's God, people often fell into the trap of making other gods, other things, more important than who God is. Can I ask you this question? Have you ever allowed something else into your life that's more important than God's will? More important because, well, it feels good. More important because it changes your circumstances if you believe in other things. And I know in my life, there have been times when I have replaced God with good things, but good things are not God. It's so easy to get confused. And so what happens is that Jesus, Jesus pushes them out, gets the apostles out, compels them to get away so that they're not part of this. And yet, and yet, and yet what does Jesus do? He doesn't immediately leave with them. Jesus doesn't immediately take off and say, well, I will spend time, I will, get, I will come to you quickly. No, no, it says that Jesus went up the mountain and what did he do? After he'd done this great miracle, Jesus begins to pray. And so here are they on the water. Here are, them on the, here are they on the water. And one of the great miracles of the Bible that we read and a story that fascinates us when we're children takes place. In Matthew 14, it says this, And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. Another translation says, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. And when he noticed, when Peter noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, Peter, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So here, is the, here are the apostles and they're sailing into a storm. Now, if Jesus, who had just performed this almighty miracle of feeding thousands, do you think Jesus might have known that they were sailing into a storm? Do you think Jesus might have gone up the mountain and spent that time all by himself, it said, because he had a plan, because he wanted to teach them something? Because he could have taken off straight away. He could have just even commanded for the oceans to be, uh, the waters to be still with a nice breeze behind them to push them along. He could have, but he didn't. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of the hesitancy of what they must be going through, Jesus comes to them. Now, uh, rough waters, rough waves is how numerous translations of the Bible describe what was happening. Imagine how that would, be, would have felt. Imagine being in a boat without electric lights or anything else like that in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake, and how dark that would have been. Now, they would be used to the dark because they didn't live in places of electric lights. They would have had just their candles or their oil lamps. But I wonder if those would have even been able to stay lit in the midst of a storm. And here they are in this storm. Some years ago, Rosemary and I went out on a sailboat. Some friends took us out on a boat. And uh, we've never been out much on a boat at all. And we, when we were in, in the, inland, in, in, in the river, it was nice and calm. And then when we went out through what's called the heads, we went out into the ocean, all of a sudden the wind picked up and the waves picked up and the swell picked up. And it got quite bumpy. And Rosemary got quite frightened because we're not used to that. Rosemary's not used to that. And she began to feel somewhat unwell. And we had to, and even though it was the middle of the day, it was kind of frightening. And we turned around and we came all the way back in. So imagine what that would have been like. Because not all of them were fishermen, not all of them were boat people uh, in, in the middle of the night. And then all of a sudden, on top of this storm that's keeping them awake, they look up and they see what looks like a person walking on the waves. I used to love this story when I was little. Didn't understand it, didn't think about it much, didn't get what it meant, but I loved this story when I was little. Imagine in the midst of that and they cry out, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And then the voice coming back from in the wind and the waves and from the direction of the ghost, um, take heart, have courage. Another translation says, be of good cheer. <laughs> Can you imagine that? In the midst of this storm and all of a sudden you go, it's a ghost. Be of good cheer, be of good cheer. Don't worry, just be happy. Right. Peter says, Lord, Lord, Maybe they recognised the voice. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, what I'd like you to do, Lord, would you tell me, Lord, to come to you? Peter was game. Get out on the rough waters, walk. 
But Peter realises he knows he can't do this himself, that what he needs is God to tell him, this is what I want you to do. You know what, there's sometimes in our lives, in your life, where God wants you to do something, there's something that you want to do, there's something that you feel convicted to do, but the trouble is, is you can't do it yourself. You don't know how to do it yourself. You feel a bit frightened. You don't have the know-how. And what you need in your life is God to say to you, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And I'm going to help you do this. You want to hear that voice, don't you? Recently, Rosemary and I, we have, uh, because of COVID and where we've been living and the laws of the land, the government, etc., have made travel very, very difficult and, and actually prohibited travel for, for nearly two years. You couldn't leave the, the country where we are and you couldn't even leave the state in which we live. And Rosemary and I for a long time have felt, and I've certainly felt very much, and many bishops and priests and friends have said to me, you know, the Lord wants you to proclaim the gospel and uh, that you should do that and you should travel to places. And well, not being able to do that, it was really out of our hands. We couldn't do anything. And Rosemary and I felt like that we, we, it was time. It was time that, that all of a sudden it was possible to do. But through the effect of COVID and everything else that had, it had a dramatic effect upon us as a ministry. Uh, it affected our income dramatically. And so when Rosemary and I sat down and said to ourselves, we think we should go, how are we going to pay for this to go travelling? We didn't know. But we had this sense that we should. And so both of us went to prayer. Both of us went to God and said, God, we think you want us to do this. We don't have the financial means to do this. What do you want us to do? See, when there's something that you feel you're meant to do, you go to God and you give it to God. Because if it's God's will, in effect, as someone once said to me, it's God's bill. If it's God's will, God must make the provision for it. Well, when both of us came back together after over a period of weeks of discerning and praying, we both felt that God said to us, borrow the money and do it yourself. Just do it yourself. Just borrow the money. Step out in faith. Believe that I'm telling you to walk on water. Now, Rosemary and I, being you know, people working in, in ministry for a long time, we don't, have, we don't have much to be able to do it. But we went out and we, just, we determined that if we were going to do this trip, if we were going to meet people where we are, if we were going to go out and share the gospel, it was going to cost us $40,000, a lot of money. And so Rosemary and I talked about it and we were able to get a loan for that amount of money. And so we buy our plane tickets, we take off and, it, and we realised that if we didn't get those funds back, it would have really an adverse effect upon us. And we hadn't been gone more than a week. Then something happened that doesn't happen to me often. Someone sent me a mail, a letter, an email and said that they had just come into, someone had died and they had left us some money. And that the amount that they had left was $50,000. And they wanted to know, could they give it to the ministry? They wanted to give it to us. And, and, and I, I, remember, I remember when Rosemary and I read the email, and then we ended up talking to the person, we were both shocked 
Because what God had said to us was, I want you to walk on water. And if you sink, it'll be really terrible for you. But I'm not going to let you sink. There are many of you today, there are things that God is asking of you to do in your life. And you look at your circumstance right now, you look at where you are in terms of your age, you look at where you are in terms of maybe the place you live, you look at yourself in terms of your experience, and you are looking at the, at the hindrances to what you need to be doing, but what you're not doing is looking at God. See, if you look at God, God somehow has an ability to overcome those things that say this is not possible. This is not possible. So Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, if that really is you, tell me to come to you. He doesn't say, Jesus, if it's you, I'm coming. Because he realises he can't walk on water. I realised, Rosemary realised, we can't pay those bills. We can't. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. So when God wants something from us in our lives, we go to God and we say, God, this is what I think you're saying to me. This is what I think you're saying to me. It's not like we have a phone that we can ring to God and we get it clear, but in our heart we become convicted. And then we say to God, God, if this is what you want, tell me, convict me, tell me what to do. And if you tell me, I'll walk on the water to you. I'll walk on the water to you. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come. Jesus says to him, come. Jesus says to him, come. Jesus says to him, come. And in that one term, in that one phrase, all authority and all power is given for him to be able to do what God has asked him to do, come. There are many of you right now where God for a long time has convicted you about something, about maybe your marriage, maybe it's not the best. Maybe there's a relationship with a child or a, or, or a friend and you think to yourself, it's too late, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to fix it. I just, you know, I want to say to you today, turn to God and say, God, what do I do in this? And maybe you have to pick up a phone. Maybe you've got to hop up, buy a plane ticket and fly to another place to see someone that you love. Maybe you've got to step out and start that business. Maybe you've got to sell that home and buy another home. Maybe you have to change that career. Maybe you have to forgive those people that you've loved who have deeply hurt you. Maybe you have to do those impossible things. Isn't it interesting how forgiveness sometimes takes as much faith as it does to walk on water, to be able to let something go. And Jesus says, come to him, and Peter gets the command, he steps over the boat. Can you imagine what that feeling would have been like? <laughs> We're just gonna step over into, every other time I've stepped off something into water, I've sunk. But this time there's Jesus and he's on the water and, 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 and I wonder what he thought that was going to be like. 
Now, when we look at art, of, when we read the story of what the water were like, it says the water was rough, it was buffeting the boat. But have you ever noticed in religious art that the art is always of just this pristine flat water? Art gets it so wrong. It wasn't. The water was rough. So in other words, what Jesus invited Peter to do, because Peter said, tell me to come, was Jesus asked him to step into rough water to step into trouble, to step into uncertainty, to step into what looked like normal circumstances where you would sink. And Jesus says to him, step into rough waters, Peter. And Peter gets out. And, and you imagine that first foot would have, step would have been amazing. And then all of a sudden he's, he's walking on the water. Um, and, and Peter, where does Peter, it says, Peter has his eyes on Jesus. Peter has his eyes on Jesus. You know, isn't it interesting, what our eyes, which are indications of our thoughts, which are indications of our heart, what our eyes look at is what, which dominates what we think and what our heart is so often. And what we allow our eyes to see in other words, what our mind and heart to see is dominated by how we see. And so Peter looks at Jesus and whilst he's got eye contact with him, he's doing all right. Um, in other words, Peter's trust is not in himself. At no time as Peter is walking over the rough, rough waters is he saying, look at me, <laughs> look at me. What he's saying the whole time is look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus is causing me to walk on water. When Rosemary and I loaned that $40,000 and we knew we'd be in trouble if we didn't get it back, financially, personally. But when that came, we took it and we had this sense and Rosemary kept saying to me, she said, I know God is going to do something. And it's not like those things happen to us often. Not that we, someone leaves something to us in their will. I mean, you know, just... Yeah, but we had this sense. And so as we looked and Rosemary kept saying to me the whole time, she says, you know what we need to do? We, need to, we, we believe this is what God has asked us to do. So we now need to pray with a greater urgency, but not just pray. We need to surrender our heart to God more deeply. And we need to be saying to Jesus, Jesus, be in that central place in my life more deeply. And then all of a sudden what happens is, all of a sudden, he notices, the Bible says, he notices the wind. How do you notice wind? No one can see wind. No, no, no. What we see is the effect of wind. What we see is the effect of wind. We see the, we see the waves. We feel it upon our bodies. In, in other words, we might say that the wind is our circumstances. The wind is what we are in control of. And all of a sudden, they notice, he notices what those things that he has no control over, that are unreasonable. And all of a sudden, what it says, it says, and when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks. As soon as he, as soon as he looks at his own circumstances, he sinks. Um, and Jesus grabs him. And after Peter calls out to him and says, save me, and Jesus grabs him. And you can just imagine Jesus just so disappointed, almost, I've often thought that Jesus must have had tears in his eyes and, and he probably would have thought, Peter, why did you take your eyes off me? 
Why did you doubt, Peter? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt that I wouldn't love your children when they stopped going to church? Why did you doubt when the financial troubles came to your life? Why did you doubt when your relationship started to be difficult? Why did you doubt when you got older and all of a sudden you noticed that home was empty and you began to say, well, who am I now? Why did you doubt? Jesus probably thought to himself, Peter, did you really think that walking on water is that hard when you look at me? Come on. When you look at me, doing the impossible is like walking on solid ground. You can imagine Jesus saying, Peter, are you the kind of guy who lets your circumstances dictate what the right thing to do is? You can can almost hear Jesus say, oh, Peter, why did you take your mind off me? Why? Um, Have you ever wondered why Jesus came walking to them across the water? Um, and, and he, when Peter and when Peter called out and said, "Jesus, I'll come to you," and Jesus just doesn't say, "No, stay there, Pete. I'll just come to you. I'll just come to the boat." But he says, "He says, no, you come to me." He said, "No, you can come to me." Jesus wanted to show them something. Jesus could answer all their problems. He could fix everything. He could solve. He can solve all of our issues, every hassle that we have. Um, but we wouldn't become the people that God is calling us to be. God wants to lift our eyes from our circumstances. God wants to lift our eyes from where we are and God wants us to look at him. Look at him and say to him, I trust you. I trust you with my life and who I am in this season, at this moment in my life. And I will seek your way and I will seek your will. And if you want me to walk on water, if you want me to give money that I don't have, Bruce and Rosemary, if you want me to do the impossible, I will do my best. So in closing, here's three things that we have to do. Is number one, we, when we were going to follow God, we have to stir up the gift of God that's within us. We have to stir up the gift of God. God has a plan. And that plan is go to the other side. Go to the place that I'm calling you to be. Be the man, the woman that I'm calling you to be. Secondly, events along the way will grow us. It's the things that happen. It's the walk of faith. It's not just the having faith. It's the walk of faith that grows us. And finally, it's this, is that God calls us in the midst of storms. God calls us, he speaks to us in the midst of storms. I have noticed this tendency in my life. When things are going very well, I tend not to give as much trust to God as I should. Because I seem to be so capable of falling into that mindset of saying, I can And sometimes God calls me in the midst of storms 
so that I can say this is beyond me and so it's all over to you. And my job is simply to do one thing, to keep my eyes, my heart, my mind on you and say, Lord, if you tell me to do that, if this is the kind of woman, man that you're calling me to be, then show me how and I will do what you have shown me that I should do. All of us are called to do the impossible. We're called to put our eyes on Jesus. And as we do, He gives us the ability to do the impossible. It's never us, it's God at work in us. Loving Father, we thank You today that You're with us. We thank You today, Lord God, that You show us Your way. Allow us, Lord God, to see You for who You are, to keep our eyes fixed on You. And when we don't know what to say, to say, Lord, I've got my eyes fixed on You. Show me Your will. Show me what You're asking of me and I will do what You are asking of me. And Father, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Amen. I meet many people who say to me that they have struggles in their life, that they're trying to figure out things through their life. They've got challenges in their life. Many, many people write asking for prayer. And it's not always negative. It's not always difficult. Sometimes opportunities come to people and it's how do you step into that opportunity? Sometimes people have dreams in their lives. But what we do know is that when we focus upon God, when we have God at the centre of our life, God makes it more possible. Now, the truth is, is what this ministry is about is about bringing people to God, helping people encounter God, experience God and to live great lives in the midst of where they are. And for all of us who are parents, all of us who love family members, love our mums and dads, we want that for people, don't we? Well, I want to ask you, would you help me continue to proclaim the gospel? Because we hear stories from people in all kinds of places that just are staggering to me. People who've been so deeply touched by what God has done in their life as they've listened and as they've opened their life to God. I wanna say thank you to our Faith Builder partners. They're the people who give on a monthly basis. They've gone into our website and they've figured out a way to give each month. We really rely on you and I couldn't do this without you. To all of our Faith Builders, the people who give from time to time, I wanna say thank you to you. I am tremendously grateful. So all of you, whether you're a Faith Builder partner or a Faith Builder, contributing to this, the reason I call you a Faith Builder is because you're building the faith of people and even people far from God and helping them connect more deeply to God. As a sign of my appreciation, particularly at this time of the year, I wanna give you uh, a gift uh, for, your, for your contribution. I wanna give you this book that I've written called Start Strong. As we start into new things, as we start into a new year, this is, this is all about simple habits to help us thrive in our walk with God. And I just wanna say my thank you to you. Now, as you know, I don't sell these things. What I do is I give them to people as a sign of my, uh, as a sign of my thanks. So you go into our website, you determine how much you wanna to contribute to this and above the cost of printing and, and the mail to get it to you, I'd love to be able to send it to you. And I pray this over this book and I will pray now that it would be a blessing to you as you start into the new year and start new things. But we can give these to people as gifts 
so that they would start strong and it would help them connect more deeply to God. Lord God, I just thank you for this little book called Start Strong. Lord God, I pray that the principles in it that come from the Scriptures would allow us to do life better with you. Lord God, I thank you for every person who will help me share the Gospel, who believes that you are the hope of the world, that Lord God, you will touch the lives of many, that people would be blessed. And I thank you for all those who contribute, Lord God, to make your kingdom known in their lives. And Lord, I'm, I'm just so excited that people will read this and be blessed by it and it will transform their lives. And Father, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you for walking the journey with me, for being on this journey with me of going after God, loving God with all our hearts. And I pray that you don't forget that wherever you are, God is never far from you. This program was paid for by the friends and partners of Bruce Downs Catholic Ministries.